Welcome to Feminist Question Time, um, brought to you by Women's Declaration International, the leading global organization defending women's sex-based rights against the threats posed by gender identity ideology. There's more information on the website, womensdeclaration.com, where you will find our Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights, which has been signed by 32,000 964 people from 159 countries and is supported by 463 organizations. We have over 100 volunteer activists, including 53 country contacts engaged in defending women's rights. Another notice is that For Women Scotland is organising a rally against the Scottish Government's plan to introduce self-ID. The rally will be at Holyrood on Thursday the 6th of October at 11.15 and there will be great speakers including Helen Joyce, Elaine Miller, Rona Hotchkiss, Maya Forstatter and Kate Coleman. If you are near the area, near Edinburgh, it would be fantastic if you could go. And there's more information from Four Women Scotland. Now, I'm really pleased to say that today we have Isabella Marquez from Brazil. She is going to talk about experiences about Elas Definem, which is a campaign to ask female candidates their definition of women. Then we will hear from Nancy Haig from the USA about the erasure of women's space, the women's music festival that she organized, the process by which it grew and later was taken down. Next, we hear from Louise Somerville from the UK, Bad Policy Watch Bristol. Bristol City Council recently passed a motion to enshrine gender identity ideology throughout its services. And Louise is going to be telling us about the campaign to challenge that, uh, which is ongoing. And so it's a completely up to date uh, uh, record of what's happening. Then we will hear from Amparo Domingo in Spain. Uh, Spain is on fire. That's the title of that. There's a very, very quick changing of many laws in Spain. And she's at the moment at a meeting in Spain um, trying to challenge that, uh, but will be giving us a report of what's happening. And then finally, we will have a report from Radfem Berlin, um, a video of a big meeting that happened and a very inspirational meeting that happened in Berlin last week, a short video summarising what happened there. I'm really delighted to introduce Isabella Marquez. She is a teacher graduated in letters and post-graduated in education research and done research about feminist pedagogy. Participate in, she participates in the Brazilian feminist movement, World March of Women. Isabella is one of the founders of Elas Definem Profile. Uh, Definem. She's also in the construction of the Feminist Front for Women and Children. And thank you so much, Isabella, and over to you. Uh, bom dia a todas. Quero agradecer o convite para estar aqui compartilhando um pouco da minha experiência com o perfil Elas Definem. Uma página no Instagram construída por mim e Thaís, uma colega feminista radical. A ideia de montar a página surgiu porque percebemos que muitas mulheres feministas, eleitas com as pautas das mulheres, ainda que situadas num campo político progressista, não estavam de fato defendendo o direito de meninas e mulheres, mas estavam colaborando 
com a diluição e perda de nossos direitos. Isso porque muitas delas não tinham sequer o entendimento do que é uma mulher. Assim, no Brasil, muitas de nossas candidatas que hoje nos representam na Câmara Municipal e Federal e também no Senado, não sabem o que é uma mulher. Não sabem exatamente para quem vão fazer ou vão construir políticas públicas. Porque eu acredito que nunca pararam para pensar sobre isso. Já outras, conscientemente, defendem que qualquer pessoa que se declare mulher seja considerada como tal. Defendem que mulheres é uma classe meramente declaratória e, por isso, endossam o discurso de que qualquer homem pode ser mulher, desde que deseje, e no momento que opte por isso. Eu acredito que, em ambos os casos, temos um problema gigantesco. De um lado, mulheres alienadas da própria história. De outro, mulheres que, mesmo sabendo de todas as implicações por trás de suas escolhas, estão optando pelo desmantelamento dos nossos direitos, o que também é uma alienação. É nesse contexto que surge o perfil Elas Definem, num período de eleições e num momento desolador para mulheres feministas radicais e materialistas ou críticas de gênero, ou simplesmente mulheres comuns, que, do lado direito, se deparam com a visão essencializada da mulher e do lado esquerdo, uma visão performativa. Assim, pensamos que primeiramente queríamos votar em mulheres que soubessem ao menos o que era uma mulher, embora tenhamos a consciência de que saber o que é uma mulher não representa todas as nossas necessidades. No entanto, entendemos que é um começo. Como diria Célia Moróis, precisamos conceituar bem para politizarmos bem. Paralelamente, começaram a circular alguns posts nas redes sociais feministas alertando. Pergunte à sua candidata se ela sabe o que é uma mulher. Eram posts retóricos, mas nós resolvemos colocar em prática essa orientação. Então, criamos uma página e pedimos sugestões de candidatas às nossas seguidoras. E, em seguida, publicávamos as respostas das candidatas indicadas. Bem, acredito que em menos de dois dias nossa página foi bloqueada. Chegamos a ter a, a página bloqueada por duas vezes, sem contar as ameaças de candidatas, chantagens emocionais de transativistas, e diversos questionamentos a respeito dos nossos objetivos. Recebemos diversas mensagens como vocês estão expondo as mulheres, obrigada por nos ajudarem. Perguntem também aos homens. Sim, nós perguntamos a alguns homens e para nossa imensa tristeza, eles sabiam exatamente o que eram. Eu não tive tempo ainda para fazer uma análise profunda de todo o material levantado, mas eu percebo que, de modo geral, a gente pode organizar as respostas em quatro grupos distintos. O primeiro grupo são candidatas que reforçam estereótipos de feminilidade como natureza da mulher. Essas respostas vêm geralmente de mulheres da direita cristã, 
open quotes. A mulher foi o último ser criado por Deus, foi o ápice da criação, cheia de beleza, meiguice, delicadeza, força espiritual, foi criada para ser mãe e esposa, carinhosa e sensível. Mulher é um ser intuitivo, com uma visão integral, preocupada com o próximo. Mulher é uma líder nata. Segundo o grupo, a gente tem candidatas que definem as mulheres como construção social, a partir de características que foram negadas às mulheres através do olhar masculino. Então vamos ler coisas do tipo, somos guerreiras, ou a mulher pode ser o que quiser, quem se nomeia se limita, somos fortes, somos resistência, entre outras coisas. Esse grupo de candidatas até pode usar termos como mulheres cis ou trans, mas acredito que de forma impensada, na tentativa de reproduzir um discurso politicamente correto. Open quotes. Ser mulher é nunca desistir. Uma mulher é ter, acima de tudo, coragem para buscar se impor. Mulher é resistência, afeto e coragem. É colocar o corpo para jogo, nadar contra a corrente por nós mesmas. Mulher é política. Mulher é força, coragem, sensibilidade. Mulher é resistência. É lutar diariamente para ter os seus direitos. No terceiro grupo, temos candidatas que sabem da tensão que há no movimento feminista e da disputa pelo termo mulheres, mas se posicionam ao lado do queer e entendem mulheres cis como privilegiadas e mulheres trans como as mais oprimidas entre as mulheres. Essas candidatas acham que afirmar que mulher é uma fêmea humana trata-se de uma ideia conservadora e colonizadora. Essas candidatas também apelam para a ideia de que mulheres têm experiências diversas, de que não existe uma mulher, mas mulheres no plural, e de que existem diversos tipos de mulheres, inclusive mulheres do sexo masculino. Nessa perspectiva também, seria impossível definir o que é uma mulher, pois, segundo elas, somos diversas. Open quotes. Na verdade, não há uma definição de mulher. Somos muitas, somos diversas. Uma mulher, seja qual for seu sexo biológico, é parte de um grupo historicamente oprimido. Ser mulher é se sentir mulher, se identificar como mulher. Somos plurais. Você está me perguntando sobre pautas que extinguem as mulheres trans, pelo que me parece? Entendo seu posicionamento como feminista raiz, mas na minha abordagem é muito mais profunda a necessidade de mulheres do que diagnosticar ou categorizar mulheres. No quarto grupo, temos candidatos que afirmam que mulheres são seres humanos do sexo feminino e entendem gênero como opressão. Esse grupo é minoritário, formado apenas por quatro candidatas. Open quotes. Mulher é a fêmea da espécie humana. Mulher é aquela pessoa que pode ter nascido com o sexo feminino. É desde o seu nascimento socializada para apresentar determinados estereótipos de gênero e ocupa um lugar de subalternidade na sociedade. A. Ah, Vale salientar a prolixidade das respostas. Muitas eram, inclusive, verdadeiros poemas. Faça essas considerações porque a pergunta direcionada às candidatas foi esta. 
o que é uma mulher? Você poderia definir objetivamente? Outra ressalva também é a respeito do frequente uso da frase de Beauvoir, mesmo que de modo equivocado. Ninguém nasce mulher. Torna-se. Open quotes. Simone de Beauvoir diria que ninguém nasce mulher. Torna-se mulher. Já Clarice Lispector afirmava que o destino de uma mulher é ser mulher. E eu vos digo que ser mulher é sentir, tocar e vivenciar intensamente a vida. Para finalizar, eu quero dizer que este projeto é importante porque mostrou nossas fragilidades enquanto classe, mostrou que temos dificuldade para nos definir ainda, mostrou que temos muito para avançar em termos políticos, mas nos mostrou que feministas radicais, materialistas e críticas de gênero estão se construindo como um grupo político de oposição nos setores da esquerda política e que estão cada vez mais se fortalecendo para pautar uma agenda feminista real. Esse é o perfil. Um, aqui nós temos candidatas para as eleições 2022 definem o que é uma mulher. É, as informações, é, é o conteúdo informativo e não toleramos qualquer desrespeito às candidatas. Bom, nós temos 204 é, posts, nós temos mais de 300 definições, tá? mas apenas quatro respostas são a partir do ponto de vista uh, feminista materialista. É, porém, eles são os mais curtidos. É, no perfil, nós compartilhamos o nome da candidata, o perfil da candidata e o, o partido político da candidata. Nós compartilhamos é, o cargo para qual a candidata se inscreveu e a cidade, é, o estado em que ela está concorrendo. Uh, nós perguntamos essa questão para todas as candidatas. É, Hi, we set up this page to indicate application for woman. We want to know a little and have clarity about our future representatives. For this, we are starting with the questions. What's our woman? Could you define objectively? Our followers indicate your name. We eagerly await your response. The answer, hello, good afternoon. I think it's a female human adult. Um, but the common answers were, hi, wow, this question is complex. We are not born a woman, become one. Patriarchal society condition us to act with a certain posture, saying to, that to be a woman is to be born with female genital, but this is broader. We are plural and diverse, and we are not our genital. So we're going to now go to our next um, speaker. And our next speaker is Nancy Haig. She's from the USA. She went to Michigan Music Festival, the Women's Music Festival, and says it gave her such immense gifts of togetherness, belonging, and safety, where she no longer felt 
alone. Throughout her life as a social worker, love of all people and animals, she has attempted to give back to life many good things um, that were given to her by her parents and others. This summer, Nancy planned a music festival and she's going to tell us the story um, of the planning of that festival and what happened. So thank you so much for coming to tell us this, Nancy, and over to you. Hi, it's good to be here. My name is Nancy and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I grew up in a very supportive family full of love, faith, higher education, music and advocacy. I felt my safety and privacy was important to my parents. However, I found myself becoming a young gay girl who had no one that would be able to understand. I had no one to talk to. I did not belong in a world that was full of straight, sexually explicit expectations. Then I learned that all boys were not safe. I, like many other girls, had consensual sex rights taken from me in such ways as date rape and child stranger. At 17, I found the love of my life, but then we were forced to be apart by Miles. She was ripped away to ensure that no further sexual deviation occurred. <clears throat> it wasn't until I met other gay women like myself that I felt like I belonged. The only places existing were the lesbian and gay bars. <clears throat> we had to fight off the vice squad, hiding on our toilets to keep from being arrested by men in uniform invading our space. Then there was the Michigan Women's Music Festival beginning in 1976. I first attended in 1978. They gave me the belonging and sisterhood that never felt before. I felt like I had truly found a home. It grew from year to year by coming from 5,000 to 8,000 women. We would feel our stories, our music, and our experiences transforming us. The festival gave us so much strength Again. again, which was less friendly. Many of our mothers came working on social issues, the ERA, and going to Washington for several protests. I was also a musician for 15 years, performing in different bands. The best and most loved was my love for music has always been within me. I later found racehorses and enjoyed 20 years of my life working as a groom seven days a week, listening and loving horses and keeping us both fit. Then one of my closest friends and her family encouraged me to come to their family farm. Her aunt's trail riding business was so welcoming and embracing of women, children, and ADD needs. She completely opened it up for any women wanting to not only did they have 1,800 acres, but cabins, fire circles, a veranda for musicians, camping sites, a trailer for and a backpack. I invited a few meetup groups and we met with other women who became fond experience. Last year, I did Michigan Family Reunion. As the Ohio Lesbian Festival had dissolved, I became concerned with having more of these revived. I decided to see if a full faith effort could lead us to a Kentucky Women's Music Festival. Many of my friends said, oh no, don't do that. It'll be months and months of work. But I could feel that this was an opportunity. When I asked my horse friend, she fully opened up her farm to raise the future of a woman's festival. I began to 
asking some of my devoted and dedicated women musicians if they would be part of it. I received overwhelming support and were more than ready to help. I set up a Facebook page similar to Michigan Framery. Everyone was welcome to invite their friends. I have always been an inclusive person. That's how I was raised. More and more hope for it to become a woman born festival. I began to reconsider knowing that the amount of older lesbians who like me would feel more secure and safe in a woman born only space. I then made that part of my page's description. I resourced and obtained more musicians willing to make a go of it. My gay guy friend, Jeff, stepped up and made all sorts of flyers. I passed them out at the Cincinnati Pride Festival and obtained the names and numbers of many vendors. The Facebook group grew to 100. I then advertised on the Michigan Family Reunion Festival page and the Big Mouth Festival pages. Many of their colleagues and organizers got back in touch with me offering tremendous support for the Women Born Women Festival. Friends I'd also met at MFR jumped wholeheartedly on board to do the sound, perform, and provide workshops. The community was hungry, I could see. With it reaching many festival goers, many well-known musicians and entertainers began to contact me. I received a call from Karen Williams, a nationally known comedian. I was totally surprised. Then we added her as well as the Troubadours, a feminist duo who are very well received. That meant we had a poetic flow, an awesome African-American poet who describes her true wor words and her experiences, Griffey Town, an amazing Appalachian duo from Southern Kentucky, Jade Green, a rock and roll musician who has had many years of performing, UBU, an Alabama band that play a lot of R&B, Chris Woodbury, a viola player, Rita Beach, who can sing anything and almost everything. Chandler Carter, another blues and R&B performer that is lesbian. And Ma Crow, an Appalachian duo that sing a lot of ballads. Our membership on the page then went over 300. My longtime friend developed a beautiful website. I organized a meetup to find volunteer coordinators. Some issues began to arise. Some were not in favor of a woman-born woman festival. Chris, the viola player, decided she could not support a non-transgender affirming festival. So did another young woman who had hoped to be the co-administrator. I was told over and over it should be trans-inclusive, yet some carried on helping to do my vendor network and to help me write my vendor applications. We visited the land again and clarified the farm was in support of a Woman Born Women's Festival. We worked on food preparations, lighting, and portageons. I traveled to Frankfurt, our state capital, and set up our gathering as a nonprofit business. Trail riding was added to the website. Tickets were ready to go. I was not aware of the needs that can arise for vetting group memberships. My questions for joining included, why would you like this festival? And two, would a woman-born woman festival be agreeable to you? Those who were invited by others did not have to answer these. The trust that I had put in the process began to be our demise because we were in the heart of the Bible Belt 
we mistakenly thought our oppressors would be local. However, the threat came from within. Of the many people invited, some were trans allies from the open city of Louisville. I began receiving requests to know if this was a trans affirming event. My response was that it was definitely women born women welcoming. With this response, I began receiving very hateful comments accusing me of being transphobic and an ignorant person. I was accused of exclusionism and ex discrimination. The same individual rallied others who posted negative comments of disapproval. She went on to suggest she was certain the troubadours would no longer want to perform for us. She said, they surely won't want to play for you. I promptly called them and to confirm their engagement still. Within two days, they advised me they could no longer perform. Their boycott, her boycott had been successful. And then she inquired, where is this thing going to be held? A question we didn't answer. However, the owner felt it should remain on the link for the horseback riding trail reservations. We went on ahead and began our ticket sales. But within a days, my friend, the farm owner, received constant calls threatening her with a boycott of her business to take down her ADD children's camp. She said that she was being blackballed. She received all these threats while attending a funeral. She said the callers were concerned that the transgender musician would not be able to perform. Her farm then had a boarding meeting and voted no longer to sponsor our Women Born Women Only Festival. As subsequently, and subsequently, the farm board posted their policy towards helping all children at risk with issues and those with any kind of gender identity issues. And so that's how it ended. I remain indebted to the many experienced women who gave all they had to support me, including Olivia Records, Falcon River, Ruth Barrett, and Chris Fulton. I recommend the reading of Disappearing L, as well as Ruth Barrett's Dossier, The Lesbian Erasure. I must say my friends were right. This festival planning took way over two months. I was fortunate enough to get it completed as well as I did. Many rights and many days went into this, responding to every Facebook post, membership request, potential vendor, musicians, workshop leaders, those trying to steer me in the best direction, taking care of the website, food preparation, port jones licensing, and more. It was all a very involved process. Unfortunately, I had very little help, but those who, few who were helpful were incredible. I also appreciate so much of what everyone did. My lawyer said that we could fight this if we were able to show a loss of funding and we came up with $5,000. Looking forward for further land, once again, we are pushed aside. I recently felt like I had an opportunity to use the YMCA camp in Northern Kentucky, as that has been what had supported the Ohio Lesbian Festival at the end of their time. But that fell through. They did not like the fact that we have had a prior problem. I uh, also wanted to say that I keep going over in my head what I could have done different and how disappointed many women have been from this. I want to express my grief over that and some 
uh, the positiveness to come out of this discussion today, I'm hoping for. I feel the issues we as women, born women and those of us that desire that space and because of safety, um, that we recognize that that is not uh, anything in my behalf anyway to want this space other than it truly makes me feel more secure. Um, I also like to um, sometimes sit and think, what is it that the trans person really can't get? And why do they like to be invading instead of respectful? Um, I just can't figure out how to reach these people. Um, so I go over that in my head a lot because I've always been a person to want to reach people. Um, and I have also wanted to see if there could be some discussion on what differences there are in the trans allies and the trans people themselves. Because the whole time my page was up, I never really heard from a trans, uh, but one time. And uh, anyway, that's the end of my discussion. I'm so grateful that you embraced me. Thank you so much. We're now going to see if we can show the video from the RADFEM Berlin meeting. Declaration International, which today is the strongest association against gender politics. It is an honor that Sheila is supporting us in Germany at this moment. Hello, sisters. continue and history 
is useful in this respect. We need to know where they came from. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Transgender was a nice sanitizing term. No more were they described by a term which suggested a sexual perversion. Next, they sought to destigmatize their perversion by changing the wording in the DSM, the US Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. A gender identity disorder, which suggested there might be something wrong with the mental health, it said disorder, was replaced with gender dysphoria. The campaign to force the medical profession to serve their interests was long, and aggressive and I describe and the main reason for writing that book was the need to show that men who pretend to be women are not some special oppressed category of persons who have mysteriously acquired an essence of womanhood and who require respect and legal recognition but sexual fetishists who are masochistically excited by the subordination of women Women's oppression is a sex aid for these men. So, dear sisters, I'm proud to be a woman, an adult human female. And it took me 31 years to realize it. I'm now 30, 33, by the way. Two years, a turpin. I'm standing here in front of you as a woman who, with only 31, realized that I'm proud to be a woman. I lived a life filled with confusion and shame, with no idea of boundaries and a sexuality that was never really mine to discover. As a, as a survivor of ancestral childhood, childhood abuse and the trauma of what followed after this abuse that was all part of our little secret, I lived a life rejecting any sex stereotype, any trend, any fad. I was with the punks in my teens. I hitchhiked and cycled on my own to other countries and I hated being asked if I was afraid if I wasn't afraid to get raped I actually felt like this classic non-binary trope of like I just want to be seen as a person when I felt alone and isolated as a radical feminist in 2017 I could have never imagined back then that five years later I'd be speaking here as part of a group like get the hell out I could not have imagined that in those five years I would see lesbian groups showing lesbian visibility against lesbian erasure by transgenderism in the UK, Mexico, Brazil, France, US, Canada, Argentina, South Korea, Peru, and many other countries where we have seen uh, lesbians uh, mobilizing. Special congratulations to the lesbians here in Germany who have been organizing groups or protesting bike marches like this year in Cologne and Berlin. All these lesbian and radical feminist initiatives are great sources of inspiration for us at Get the Hell Out. And so about this realization that I became a, a lesbian radical feminist activist five years ago, um, it is through this gathering that my life completely changed. Uh, being surrounded by women and a majority of lesbians, 
from many different paths of life felt so much like paradise that the urge to share this feeling with as many women as possible has never left me since. It's a poem called uh, A Note to Fearless Women, so it's an ode to all of us here right now. I think your bones were made in an elsewhere place. How else does one explain this inconceivable strength that makes you? The way you look into danger's mouth and see no cemetery or death. Instead, carve your name into its teeth with, its, with a switchblade, defeat it so effortlessly and throw your head back and laugh. Paradox girl, mighty woman, you are the thing that terrifies them. Both monster and maiden, both cure and poison, all of these things, and at the same time, human. Defined by no man, you are your own story, blazing through the world, turning history into her story. And when they tell you about all the things you cannot be, you smile and tell them, I am both war and woman, and you cannot stop me. Right, so we're going to now hear from Louise Somerville. She's from the UK. She's a committed and innovative feminist activist and campaigner. Over the last two decades, she's launched one and collaborated on a broad range of environmental campaigns. She lives in the southwest of England, where a local council, Bristol, have decided to remove the rights and language of women and children out of the city. Louise is going to talk about what the council have done, are planning to do, and how this could impact us all. So the title of her talk is Bad Policy Watch Bristol. So welcome, Louise, and over to you. So I live in the southwest of England. Um, it's really lovely. It's warm, it's comfortable, it's just fantastic in so many ways. And a little while back, we heard a rumour that there was going to be a gender identity policy enshrined into, the, into a local council's policy system and motion. Now, it came as a bit of a shock because it's a, it's a rural idyll here. And we didn't think that local councils would be utterly convinced that men can be women and women can be men. You know, it's warm, we've got lovely scenery, friendly people, and apart from men impersonating women in libraries and some city centre demonstrations, we have actually got less weightless than many other parts of the country. And I'm aware that this is a familiar picture and that for many of you in some countries, the situation is absolutely dire. 
and you have my deepest, deepest sympathy. But this is Turf Island I'm talking about. It's not a particularly metropolitan area. I mean, once upon a time across the country, it was apparently very difficult for girls to know if they were really boys and for boys to know if they were really girls. But we've had huge achievements, stalwart women across the UK and the tide's really been turning here. Not in Bristol though. Some of you may remember that Bristol witnessed the first outing of the Black Pampers, as well as the memorable catchphrase, your mum's a turf. I think we can give thanks to, uh, to Helen for that one. I'm still waiting for my child to come back from school with that comment being hurled at him. Anyway, back to my story. It's a tale of policy, which not only enshrines gender identity ideology into local behaviour, local, local places, local services, local funding, data and statistics, but it takes it into the outer reaches of mind-blowing incompetence, ineptitude and illegality. It seems that elected members and officers of Bristol Council voted for a policy which advocates for the harmful transitioning of children to be taught in schools. For anyone who says they are agender, non-binary, cross-dresses and a multitude of other genders to be taken at their words. And woe betide anyone who accidentally misgenders an individual who is self-identifying out of their birth sex. Imagine working in an office and asking if he has finished with the photocopier when the he is actually a cross-dressing she. Imagine a session in a Bristol gym and coming across a male-bodied person in the changing rooms or the shower and your distress being interpreted as hateful. Please don't imagine how it would feel if you went to a service designated for survivors of sexual assault, a service which could lawfully make use of single-sex exemptions for women and for girls, and didn't because the council provided support and funding and well, they've got a policy. In the city where men actually can be women and women can actually be men, this could be about to become more of a reality. So they've got two policies in Bristol. We hadn't actually realized that. I noticed that about 11 o'clock this morning. So they've got the trans inclusion and gender identity policy and the supporting trans inclusion at gender identity at work policy. I hadn't actually really marred up my words with my slides. That is a bit of an issue. But in terms of is it happening at your council, I know that it's happening at Cambridge. I know that it's happening at Oxford. So I think it's a good idea to find out if it is happening at your local council. If you could just keep moving till we get to the sections of the policy. So how? This is really interesting. So a gish gallop is something that means that you can have tons and tons of references. So there are links after links after links after links, and they go on for pages and pages and pages. X percentage of trans people have experienced this hate crime. X percentage of trans people have experienced this. So when an ordinary person or a campaigner or any of us go along and we look at what the council have done, 
and this includes the elected members, they are given this absolute avalanche of statistics that have come from lobby groups such as Stonewall, um, such as Transactual UK and other organisations. And I don't think the councillors actually realised what they were voting in. So let's have a look at a little bit more, please, if we can. A full ban on conversion therapy is crucial. Most of us do understand that while we are fiercely opposed to conversion therapy for sexual orientation, we do not believe that banning conversion therapy on gender identity is helpful for children. And in fact, we believe that it's seriously harmful. I do. So who are these people with the minority sexual orientations? I don't actually know what that means. And we also, I think most of us would agree that including intersex people in this group is inappropriate and has been called for by groups that represent that particular community. But what is aromantic and asexual? Can anybody define genderqueer? I'm unable to define genderqueer. I haven't got a clue. What else does Bristol policy say? To recognise and affirm that trans men are men, trans women are women, non-binary and genderqueers people, genders are valid and trans rights are human rights. Well, I wouldn't disagree that trans rights are human rights. I would agree that there is a conflict between the rights of women and girls and the rights of people that identify as trans. I wonder what other flags Bristol Council fly and what else are the council saying that they'd like to make happen here in this beautiful part of the world. So not only do Bristol Council want to enshrine gender identity into local policy and local services, they want to make sure that this happens across the country. They're going to lobby the government to improve access to trans and non-binary healthcare. I'm not opposed to anybody having healthcare, but I don't understand what non-binary healthcare is. I think that having more clinicians is always useful, but my biggest concern is that those clinicians affirm gender identity as a reality, especially for children and young people, when nobody can actually change sex. And that matters. That matters hugely to me. Really get it going in Parliament and make sure that if you are gender critical, you must not provide a service to Bristol Council. How is that lawful? How is it lawful for Bristol Council to not recruit or have a contract with or organise with anybody or any organisation? that is gender critical. Surely it can't be lawful. I don't believe it is, but it's not the only unlawful action that Bristol have taken in recent times. Conduct an audit of council services to ensure they're accessible. I think all council services should be accessible. I'd love to see that audit of accessibility for people that are hard of hearing, people that are having difficulty visually, and all groups that are not only have protected characteristics under the Equality Act in the UK, but what else it is that can affect them. I don't believe that prioritising one group over another group is the way forward. 
because all council services should be accessible for all. I do disagree with the removal of single sex toilets. And I don't understand why the council would want to spend money on ensuring that unisex toilets, uh, colloquially referred to as gender neutral, should happen throughout the city and inside council buildings, because I believe that women and girls need single sex toilets, particularly in nightclubs and in pubs and other social venues and the theatre where women are often trying to escape from predatory men. Expert legal guidance from our very favourite law firm, The Good Law Project. Only they're not, are they? They're not our favourite law firm. Some of you may know that a couple of years ago, the Department for Education in the UK quite clearly stated that it was not acceptable to put gender identity propaganda or nonsense such as children being born in the wrong body. That kind of information was to be taken out of schools. So it looks to me that Bristol are going backwards. They are defying what has been said by the Department for Education in this country and taking away any opportunity for those children to really be children. And that really matters to me. It seems that not only have Bristol changed the policy that they voted on this morning in the space of 30 minutes, they also changed their equalities impact assessment and they changed their draft trans inclusion policy. It is all getting a little confusing. So they have removed some of their words and replaced them with other words. Presumably, councillors have been lobbying. What can we do? So I did promise you that there would be um, a handy, handy feel-good factor that would happen towards the end. And this is your opportunity for the handy feel-good factor. There is light at the end of this tunnel. The consultation that I invite you to complete, although it's got questions that could make radical feminists turn in their graves, such as this one, you can have your voice heard and that will be great. I do hope that Fury will rouse you to action. You've got a few days left. The Bristol consultation ends on October the 9th. It's not very many questions, mostly multiple choice. And I am hosting a competition for who can complete it the fastest. And we'll be doing that in the breakout rooms shortly after this webinar. Anybody that would like to have a little look at the consultation, I believe that's been posted in the chat. You can run through the pages and have a look at the questions yourself and some of the assertions that have been made. And all you need to do is click save and continue. You don't actually need to fill it in. But it is clear that the current pro proposed policy approach aims to go beyond legal protection. Beyond legal or unlawful? I don't know, but don't you love a multiple choice question? Strongly agree, strongly disagree. It's quite easy to make your voices known. And I do hope that you will pause to contribute your thoughts, your clarity, and above all, your truth. And perhaps when you've completed the consultation, you'll be inspired to web search your council. Have they 
passed a policy that says trans women are women, trans men, trans men are men. Is this policy exclusive of women or inclusive of women? I think you're all bright enough to work that out for yourself. But here's some information that came directly from the consultation. Try not to assume someone's gender by their appearance. As a woman, as a feminist, I can understand where they're coming from. I don't want to be judged by the way I look, but I do know that it's pretty easy for us all to know who is a man and who is a woman. Once we've done the consultation, we can find out what's going on at other councillors, other councils in the country. So there's a couple in the north of England. There's a couple in the south of England. So the name of the motion is Trans Rights are Human Rights. So you can Google that or web search that with your council. Find out. I would love to know if there's any international women here who've got this kind of thing going on in their council. So we've got Cambridge and Oxford, a um, couple of other councils that this, this, these words, and I believe they might be the same. And yesterday on Twitter, we found out that Norwich Council are also doing this. But the way that councils function in the UK is different from area to area. Bristol is a large unitary authority that has a lot of money, a huge budget and control over lots of services. How can you make this known on social media? There's our hashtag, Bad Policy Bristol. You have until the 9th. So I've mentioned the unlawfulness of the schools policy. We do know that under British building regulations, single sex toilets are definitely a thing in the workplace and in our public services. So there's no issues in terms of the law there. But what actually happened and how did Bristol get this policy in? It seems that the Labour Party brought this policy to council. The, the number of councillors, I think, in Bristol is 24 Labour, 24 Green and a handful of Conservatives. There were some exemptions and in the breakout rooms, we can have a look at that in a little bit more detail. They brought this, they brought this policy through without something called an equality impact assessment. For anybody that doesn't know, you have to have an equality impact assessment under British law to bring in this kind of policy if you are a provider of public services, if you are, for example, a council. It's called the Public Sector Equality Duty. Bristol did not do this. Major breach. Well, as far as my group, Bad Policy Watch Bristol are concerned, it's a major breach. And the next thing that they did was they published a consultation. They said on their website that the consultation would close on December the 6th. And then on the consultation, they said it would close on December the 9th. So there's more confusion there. There are a number of leading questions that are going on in the consult consultation as well. If you click, click into it and just click through it, you'll see that there are a number of leading questions. So there you go. We're going to go to our final speaker today, who is Amparo Domingo. She's from Spain. She is the country contact for WDI in Spain. She is the co-host or the host of this webinar quite often. Um, and 
She is also an expert on gender identity ideology, asked to speak in all over Spain and sort of becoming recognised as probably the, the best expert in Spain. So we're really lucky to have Amparo talking about Spain is on fire. There's a rapid attempt to change laws uh, very quickly in Spain. And so she's going to give us an update on that. So thank you so much, Amparo. Thank you for coming on in the middle of your other meeting. Over to you. The situation in Spain is incre getting increasingly dire. And as I have told you in previous updates, our government is working very hard to implement self-ID in Spain. There is a bill of law now introduced in our parliament that is a proposal arising from the Equalities Ministry, but now officially endorsed by the whole cabinet and sent to Congress to be processed. The whole name of this bill is Bill for the Real and Effective Equality of Trans People and for the Guarantee of the Rights of LGBT People. But informally, it is commonly referred to as a trans law by everyone, journalists, even the, the politicians refer to the trans law uh, for this bill. The proposed text includes all three axes that in other jurisdictions appear in different legal texts. That is self-ID from 14 years old on, 14. 14 to 16 years old have to be assisted by their legal guardians and from 16 years old, everyone on their own, no questions asked whatsoever. The proposal doesn't exclude anyone anyone, not even people with declared mental illnesses like schizophrenia or a criminal history. There's also a ban on, on so-called conversion therapy, which would include gender identity as a protected category against this alleged conversion, therefore putting in the line of fire all psychotherapists currently working with people who experience distress about their body, including confused teenage girls who think they're boys. And also there's criminalization of dissent, introducing fines for those who disagree with the woke approach up to 150,000 euros. This bill doesn't modify our criminal code, but restricts its scope to the administrative level, which is good uh, in, on the one hand, but a very dangerous thing on the other. So, it is true that the, uh, this bill, if passed, that they cannot send people to prison. But in fact, these fines could be applied to people even if the courts were to find that according to Spanish law, these people were not committing a crime. So this is certainly a kind of thought police being proposed in Spain. So this is a proposal. Uh, I think you already knew about this because uh, I told you in, in previous occasions, but now the news are that the proposal was formally introduced in Congress in early September, which um, we expected according to the agenda of the government and the, and the parliament. But we had a very unpleasant surprise along the way. The government sent two requests to the Bureau of the House in relation to this bill. One request we knew, the second we didn't. The request we knew was that they wanted to process this bill as an urgent matter. The Bureau granted this request. So now, according to the standing orders of the House, all processing periods for this bill will be halved. Every process, everything that has to be done, uh, now the period is going to be uh, cut in half. Like, for instance, if they have two weeks to issue a certain report, now it's going to be just one week. So every step of the way, uh, all periods are going to be cut in half. 
For any given bill to be processed as an urgent matter, there have to be solid grounds for that request, but those given by the government were not solid at all. The first reason they gave to um, support the claim of urgency is that they said that LGBTI people felt, they felt they were being discriminated against in Spain. So this new bill was absolutely necessary because of that feeling that the LGBTI collective had. So both the government and the Bureau of the House seem to forget that on June 30th, just three months ago, the Congress in Spain passed a law against discrimination called Law on Equal Treatment and Non-Discrimination, which includes LGBTI people among any other group uh, based on race, origin, anything, everyone is included there. So we have already um, a, a law in force in Spain that regulates how to protect vulnerable people. Um, so because of this, this new bill, just three months old, we think all provisions related to LGBTI discrimination in the current bill in the uh, trans law are redundant with this legislation in force, but no one seems to care about this. The second reason they gave to support the claim of urgency, they said be, uh, that was because Spain had to remove the criteria of pathologization that informs our current law that was passed on 2007. And they say this was in accordance to the new guidelines from the World Health Organization. They are, of course, referring to the new edition of the International Classification of Diseases, the ICD, the 11th edition, which supposedly depathologize gender identities by removing gender dysphoria from the classification of diseases. But we feminists, we know that gender dysphoria is not listed as a disease at the ICD because it has been renamed, not removed from the classification. It is now listed as gender incongruence and it has been relocated from mental health to the sexual health section. And it is precisely because it hasn't disappeared from the ICD that the government pretends to fund many procedures like surgeries, hormone treatments from the public purse at the public health system. That is, had the gender incongruence, uh, uh, had, had it been removed actually from the ICD, all those medical procedures would be considered completely voluntary, exactly like cosmetic surgery. So they couldn't be funded by the state. That way, it is impossible for the government to pretend to be ignorant of the fact that gender incongruence, as it is called, it is still a diagnosis at the ICD. So they claim their claim about depathologization is a complete lie on their side. Nevertheless, as I just said, the Bureau granted their request. So now the bill will be processed faster than usual. I mean, uh, as I told you, it's twice as fast. The second request the government sent to the Bureau of the House is for the bill to be dealt only at the Equalities Committee. This we didn't know. And this is an ordinary delegation from, for usually non-important bills, maybe technical ones that uh, in order to better organize everybody's time, 
they do not have to meet at the plenary for things that are just like admin or very like regulatory things that are you don't expect a debate about maybe a technicality so this bill which is the complete opposite should not um uh, should not should not be dealt uh, under this procedure because this bill could turn upside down all previous spanish legislation According to the standing orders of the House, all comments, amendments, everything will happen now only at the committee, without the final text being sent to the plenary of the Congress for a full debate as usual. And in the plenary, all the parties have representation. Not all parties are represented at the committee. The smallest parties are not represented at the committee. So now, because of this delegation granted by the Bureau, when the, when the committee arrives at the final text, and if, if it is approved, it will go straight to our Senate, which is the upper house in, in Spain, for the second round of approvals before becoming an actual law. And this, of course, is being made to obscure the public debate, to prevent the public debate of the bill, and uh, making make it making more difficult for uh, everyone to understand its aim and scope. There are 350 MPs in our Congress, and six and only 60 of them belong to the Qualities Committee. As I said, not all political parties have representation in the committee. The smallest ones they won't have uh, the opportunity to give their opinion on the matter. So both requests from the government to the Bureau combined might create a true fast track for the parliamentary process of this bill, contrary to what happens in other complex issues where lengthy debates um, delay the process, but uh, because there's the need and chance um, to discuss all relevant details. So feminists I personally, we think um, we are being robbed of our rights and of the idea of democracy. This feels really, to me, it feels like a coup without the shootings. This is not the only irregularity in the process of the trans law, because according to Spanish law, some consulting, some consulting public bodies have to issue a report on the proposed text of any bill before it is sent to the parliament. Those reports are mandatory even if later the government they have the right to choose whether to follow their advice or not but the reports have to be written and sent to the government as a compulsory part of the procedure without the reports the government cannot send the bill to congress well there was one report missing from the prosecution council it didn't arrive but the government sent the bill anyway to parliament some days ago this report was fi finally issued and it was positive for the government's text, even though um, later on uh, newspapers published that uh, the prosecution council is very, very divided about the support, especially with regards to the treatment of minors in, in this bill. So there's a lot of noise in the air. People are, start are starting to talk about this. Some newspapers uh, are mentioning this. The situation is not very clear. There's a lot of confusion because not uh, everyone understands the, um, 
processes that happen inside the Congress. I myself, I'm learning a lot, reading the standing orders of the, of the House in order to better understand the procedure. And uh, um, this, the sad thing is that Spanish society, because of this confusion, Spanish society at large is not aware really of the full scope of the conflict. Several feminist organizations have sent petitions to the president of the Qualities Committee, who happens to be, this is very interesting, happens to be our former deputy prime minister, Carmen Calvo. Uh, she is the, 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 the person in, in, in power. She has um, the, her role allows her to call in experts at the commission in order to uh, testify before the Qualities Committee to report on the consequences of the proposed legislation. Uh, Confluencia Movimiento Feminista and several other radical feminists have um, applied that, uh, WDI Spain also. So we already have sent a request to be called as experts to appear in Congress before the committee. And we already have got a receipt from the Congress acknowledging our request. So at least it's there, it has been registered. We don't know what's going to happen next. It is going to be very interesting because Carmen Calvo very recently has declared very, very explicitly that she doesn't agree with the government's proposal at all. She's very critical of the idea of self-ID, even though she hasn't mentioned the other aspects of the bill, as I mentioned before, the ban on conversion therapy and the criminalization of dissent. She said last week to a live audience of several hundred women in a feminist seminar that happened in Valencia, and also on an interview for a conservative newspaper that was published this past Monday, that she is very critical. She had a remark that made it to the front page of the newspaper, and that was that the trans law will destroy our equalities legislation. So she's very clear about that. But now, as I said, I said it's going to be interesting because we still have to see whether her loyalty to her party is more important for her than her feminist values or the other way around, we don't know that. Right-wing parties have reacted negatively to the bill. The oldest and largest of the right-wing party, the Popular Party, has called for the removal of the proposal. They tabled amendments in full. So it's, they do not want the, um, the, the proposal, the bill, at all. There's a, a, right, a far-right-wing party, which are literally fascist, literally, it's called Vox. And they also tabled amendments in full. And the third uh, right-wing party, which is a small neoliberal party, they are pro-surrogacy. They tabled partial amendments. The media are reacting depending on their political bias. Woke media are just crazy. They are not journalists, but activists, in fact. Left-wing media are complicit in the blocking of feminist voices and right-wing media are publishing information about the matter, sometimes even quoting actual feminists. So the woke narrative that the radical feminists are in fact right-wing women could be seen as plausible for uninformed people. This Wednesday, this week, Julia Otero, who is a very famous journalist, uh, she works now in radio, she has been on, on TV um, some time ago, but now she's, she's had a huge audience uh, on her radio program. She questioned her audience whether we feminists were closer to the right-wing parties than to the government. That's, that was the, the, like, 
the, the, um, the title for the program this week. That is, as we all know, but the audience in this, um, in this webinar we know, it, that is superficially true, meaning that both right-wing parties and feminists are against self-ID and against children's medical transition. But some right-wing people might believe in the true trans narrative, which we completely disagree with. Plus, right-wing people are usually in favor of all sex stereotypes that are in fact the basis for the concept of transsexualism in the first place. So this approach doesn't help to shed light on the issue. This trans bill is the most pressing issue on our, on, on our agenda, but they are, they are, well, you might imagine this is the most pressing issue on our agenda, but there are other important issues happening at the same time, as Joe said, because the government wants also to reform the law on abortion rights for Spanish women. Their official reason for that is they want to restore some of the rights that were removed at the previous legislature when the popular party, the right-wing party I mentioned, eliminated the possibility for teenage girls of 16 and 17 years old uh, to have an abortion without their parents' uh, knowledge. But of course, they are taking this opportunity to include queer language, like trans people that can gestate. Um, so that is now in the proposed text of the, um, of the law on abortion rights for Spanish women. And this is interesting, same as with, with the trans uh, bill, trans law, they also abuse their powers, establishing also an urgent procedure for the processing of this bill. And that started even at the draft stage of the bill some months ago. So not only they want they wanted to be mm, dealt with as urgent in Congress, they already some months ago declared it was an urgent matter uh, for the um, making of the draft. Spanish legislation establishes that in order to declare a draft of a bill to be urgent, there have to be solid grounds for that, and those reasons have to be published in the report that the government has to issue with the draft of the bill when it's uh, open for public consultation, and that happened last May. WGDI Spain, then we objected to the use of queer language and demanded that the text would only recognize women according to our sex, not any identity. And we also objected to the declaration of urgency because we couldn't find any information about what were the reasons for the urgency. So that was in May, but some weeks ago when the government approved the bill to send it to the parliament, so everything uh, I'm telling you is happening in September, they also sent a new report about the steps taken up, uh, up to that moment. And in that report, WDI um, Spain allegations were mentioned. In the report, they said, well, they were not going to uphold our um, demand uh, uh, of a sex-based language, but they acknowledged that they hadn't published the reasons for the urgent processing of the legal text, and they said that it was a mistake and they would correct that. A journalist for a conservative newspaper noticed this mention in the report and contacted us, so we are mentioned in her article in the conservative media this past week. There, it literally says that feminist organization women's declaration have doubts about the lawfulness for the procedure. So the situation is similar to other countries. We are being conflated with the right-wing um, parties or activists. 
and, uh, and they are really, really uh, trying to fast track uh, queer legislation here in, in Spain. So that's why uh, Joe suggested the title Spain is on fire. And as you see, um, the situation is, is very, very complicated. We keep fighting. We are still trying to stop this bill and prevent it from being an actual law. And for that, some rallies and events are being organized. Next week, uh, two uh, rallies are going to happen in Madrid on um, October 5th and October 8th. And, um, um, and more petitions are going to be sent to Parliament in the following days. We're going to keep fighting until the end. We won't submit. And that's all I have to say to you today. <laughs>